Good morning, everyone. You're listening to Mornings with Pastor Adam on the West Coast Bible Teacher Podcast. I hope you all enjoyed the teaching that I posted uh, yesterday morning, which was on Nehemiah chapter 4, um, at least starting from uh, verse 10. I explained how I didn't have time to get ready for a morning's podcast that would have been published yesterday morning, so Sunday I made sure to record my Nehemiah teaching at the adult Bible class I teach at my church, and so I just wanted to ensure that you all would indeed have content to listen to yesterday morning. It was certainly a busy weekend for me. I was involved in a number of things, and then of course I was at a get-together on Sunday afternoon to watch the Super Bowl. (laughs) I know that people are all talking right now about the uh, Jesus, He Gets Us ads that were aired during the broadcast. I did see them both, but I'm not really ready to uh, talk about them, only because, I'll be honest, I'm not too familiar, at least not yet, with the uh, organization that put out those ads. Um, I would like to research and make myself a little bit more aware of all these details. Um, I did see the ad that showed, you know, different people, you know, washing other people's feet. And uh, I get it, you know, it's supposed to be in reference to Jesus washing the disciples' feet um, and how Jesus said, go and do likewise. Now, it's been pointing out to me that there were apparently, I don't know, I guess, subliminal messages within that particular ad. Like, I think one person was telling me that one of the scenes showed a person washing uh, someone's feet right outside, like a Planned Parenthood clinic. Uh, (laughs) And then uh, I saw the ad when it aired, um, but you know I, I was I was you know I was shooting the breeze with my friends. I was stuffing my face with food, so you know <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't paying attention to all those little details <laughs> when I was sitting there on the couch, <laughs> and uh, so I may have missed a few things. So I do plan on doing some research, and then maybe for Thursday morning show I'll touch on what I've gathered about those Jesus ads and uh, how I feel about it all. Um, but man, was that a Super Bowl game? I don't know about you, but in my opinion, I think this was the best Super Bowl we've seen in like, I don't know, at least five years. I, you know, I could be wrong, but I was literally on the edge of my seat in the second half. It was just nuts how close it was. And I'll tell you right off the bat, there was one main moment that was a real nail-biter for me. My eyes were just, you know, glued to the TV, and that was when the Kansas City Chiefs had just 10 seconds to go. The 49ers were ahead of Kansas City just by, well, just by, I think, three points. And that entire final minute of the game before they went into overtime was just incredible, in my opinion. You know, how the Chiefs slowly but surely made their way across the entire field, doing a lot of short passes, but, but, you know, progressing more and more towards the end zone. And of course, when they got to the point where it was just 10 seconds to go, Mahomes tried throwing it to one of his guys in the end zone, but it was an incomplete. Then they just had to field goal it with only six seconds on the clock. And sure, I know a lot of people were probably like, oh, you know, that's, that's an easy field goal, you know. That was an easy field goal. Well, I'm not so sure it was a little bit of a distance from what I could tell from most other field goals that you see. Now, I'm not a football expert, so don't count on me for, you know, accurate commentating (laughs) on a football game. But either way, 
the kicker was under a lot of pressure, I'm sure. And there was a chance that he wouldn't have made the field goal. But six seconds was on the clock. And he kicked it and made it, and then it was 19-19. Both teams tied, and they went into overtime. It became what I guess is now the longest, super, the seventh, that is, the seventh longest Super Bowl in history. And, uh, you know, that's cool, I guess. <laughs> but I must say, I was on the edge of my seat. I was holding my breath. Even at the very end of the game, you know, when the Chiefs scored the winning touchdown, it got very intense at the end there. And it certainly was another edge-of-your-seat moment. It seems like they made it to the Super Bowl victory only by a hair. The Kansas City Chiefs. But they achieved the victory nonetheless. One thing I have found in the Christian life is that sometimes the Lord will put you in edge-of-your-seat experiences. Moments where it seems like you're barely going to make it. If you do even make it. And God sometimes doesn't come in to deliver you until the very last second. Now, why is it that God will allow us to go through edge-of-your-seat experiences in our Christian walk from time to time? It's never a fun thing when you are entangled in an anxiety-inducing situation. And God doesn't get pleasure in seeing us in anxiety-ridden situations. He doesn't get pleasure in that. But since we live in a fallen world, and God is operating within the perimeters of this fallen world, the Lord will often use bad situations for His purposes. And when it comes to getting entangled in edge-of-your-seat situations— we are told that the testing of our faith produces endurance. There is a strengthening that goes along with experiencing a trial, a hardship, a tense situation or circumstance. James 1, 2-4 Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance... Finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Sometimes our faith needs to be strengthened. If you want to really do amazing things for the Lord, then you need to have a strong faith. Read through Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Faith. All who are mentioned in Hebrews 11, they all had a tremendous faith. And such is what brought them to the point of achieving remarkable things for the Lord. But some of us need an, but some of us need a strengthening in our faith. And God will sometimes allow you to experience a tough thing because He wants to strengthen you so that He can then use you even more powerfully than He was using you before. Now, no tribulation is pleasurable when you're experiencing it. Hebrews 12.11 No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. 
Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It's difficult when you're experiencing it, but keep your eyes on the light at the end of the tunnel. I know that's a cliched phrase that people like to quote. Non-believers will quote that phrase. People in secular society. But it actually holds weight within the context of what we're talking about. There is a light at the end of the tunnel when you're experiencing hardship. The light is that of sanctification, eternal rewards, and bringing you into a firmer purpose for his kingdom, you see. You're going to be more focused by the time you make it through. But while you're experiencing it, you're holding your breath. God is testing you, and tests often are anxiety-inducing. And it's interesting, because again, there are some circumstances where it seems as if God doesn't show up until the last minute. But I believe that this is part of the Lord showing you just how powerful he really is. And when your faith is being tested and you're going through a trial, God is trying to get you to understand just how powerful he really is. God will sometimes take you through a battle and you will be holding your breath the entire time. You will be on the edge of your seat. And God may not show up to deliver you and grant you victory until the very end of the game. There may be six seconds left, like there were at the Super Bowl Sunday. And even so, God will come in at the very end and deliver you and secure you. We see in Scripture how God will sometimes show up at the last minute. I can think of a couple of examples two of which are in the book of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then we read, was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace was exceedingly hot, the flames of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. But then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, and rose up in haste, and spake, and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. God didn't stop the men 
from throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. He allowed them to be thrown in. But at the last minute, Jesus showed up and protected the men. They were unharmed. Another example is when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Similar situation. Also, of course, it's within the book of Daniel. The satraps and men of King Darius were trying to get one over on Daniel. But Daniel, he was a good man. Upright. They couldn't do anything. And so they formulated a scheme. And they knew that Daniel was a praying man. Dedicated to his faith. And so the men went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, perfect satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next thirty days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius, he put the decree in writing, we read. Now Daniel, he heard about the decree, <laughs> but it didn't face him. And he still went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. And when the king's satrap saw him doing this, they reported it to the king. The king was greatly troubled. He liked Daniel. But it was too late since the decree had already been enacted across the province. Again, think about all this in light of what I'm talking about. How God sometimes doesn't wait until the last minute, it seems, to deliver us. And we see that happening with Daniel. God didn't prevent the decree from being issued by Darius. He didn't prevent Daniel from being taken by force to the lion's den itself. And God allowed Daniel, indeed, to be thrown right into the lion's den. God could have swooped in, mind you. He could have stopped the men from grabbing Daniel and throwing, throwing him into the lion's den, but he didn't. Why? Because God wanted to display his mighty power, not just to that of his servant Daniel, but also to King Darius, who was witness to all of this. And when Daniel was indeed found to be alive without a single scratch on him the next day, we read that King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And there's one little detail I want to add with this account in Daniel chapter 6. The author of Daniel tells us, When Daniel was lifted from the lion's den, 
No wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. God wants you to trust in him. And maybe he's allowed a trial to continue simply because he's waiting for you to finally put your trust in him completely. Even if it doesn't happen until the last minute, until the last quarter of the game, until the final six seconds, he's waiting for you to put your trust in him, and when you do, then he's going to come in and deliver you. And as a result, you'll see his mighty power, And it reminds me of one more Bible story to mention. Judges 19. We see that a horrible thing happened within the tribe of Benjamin. It happened under their watch. A woman was raped and killed by a group of men. A number of other horrible things transpired as a result. And the news of this heinous event reached all other tribes of Israel. And they were made aware that this happened within the tribe of Benjamin. This was during a time when the people of Israel were not serving God or walking in his ways. But this horrible and heinous act was bad enough to actually convict the leaders of the other tribes of Israel to rise up and stand for righteousness. And so they formed a coalition the tribes of Israel, to go to war against the Benjamites. We see this play out in Judges 20. The Israelites went up to Bethel, we read, and inquired of God. They said, Who of us is to go up first to fight against the Benjamites? The Lord replied, Judah shall go first. The next morning the Israelites got up, pitched their camp near Gibeah, The Israelites went out to fight the Benjamites and took up battle positions against them at Gibeah. But the Benjamites came out of Gibeah and cut down 22,000 Israelites on the battlefield that day. Talk about a loss. Talk about a defeat. But the Israelites, in verse 22, encouraged one another and again took up their positions where they had stationed themselves the first day. The Israelites went up, and they wept before the Lord, we read, until evening. And they, re- they inquired of the Lord. They said, Shall we go up again to fight against the Benjamites, our fellow Israelites? The Lord answered, Go up against them. Then the Israelites drew near to Benjamin the second day. This time when the Benjamites came out from Gibeah to oppose them, they cut down another 18,000 Israelites, all of them armed with swords. Now wait a minute, hold on. Let me stop right there for a moment. Why wasn't God giving the tribes of Israel the victory against the Benjamites here? Why isn't God giving me the victory in my own life? In my trial, my difficulty, I keep getting defeated, I keep getting struck down. Well, hey, God is there. He's working. He hasn't abandoned you, but he's stretching you a bit. He's breaking you. He's waiting to see you give it all to him. 
And so after suffering a second defeat, then all the Israelites, in verse 26, the whole army, went up to Bethel, and there they sat weeping before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. And the Israelites inquired of the Lord. In those days the Ark of the Covenant of God was there, with Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, ministering before it. And they asked, Shall we go up again to fight against the Benjamites, our fellow Israelites, or not? And the Lord responded, Go, for tomorrow I will give them into your hands. The Lord, you see, was waiting for the Israelites to completely humble themselves and really go out of their way to show him that they were completely devoted to him, submitted to him, and they were leaving it all in his hands. They fasted. They offered burnt offerings, fellowship offerings. They were in complete worship, submission, and devotion to the Lord by that point. And then we read, after the Lord spoke to them the final time, in verse 29, Then Israel set out an ambush around Gibeah. They went up against the Benjamites on the third day and took up positions against Gibeah as they had done before. The Benjamites came out to meet them and were drawn away from the city. They began to inflict casualties on the Israelites as before, so that about thirty men fell in the open field and on the roads, the one leading to Bethel and the other to Gibeah. While the Benjamites were saying, We are defeating them as before, the Israelites were saying, Let's retreat and draw them away from the city to the roads. All the men of Israel moved from their places and took up positions at Baal-Tamar, and the Israelite ambush charged out of its place on the west of Gibeah. Then ten thousand of Israel's able young men made a frontal attack on Gibeah. The fighting was so heavy that the Benjamites did not realize how near disaster was. And so the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, and on that day the Israelites struck down 25,100 Benjamites, all armed with swords. Then the Benjamites saw that they were beaten. God hasn't given up on you. He hasn't abandoned you. And sometimes he will wait until the final seconds of the game to come through for you. Because he's testing your faith. He wants to see if you can get to the point where you are completely reliant upon him. And you know what happens when he finally does come through within the final seconds of the game? A new game starts. Isn't that what happened Sunday evening? The Chiefs made it literally by a hair, and then overtime happened, and the refs came out onto the field and said, Hey, y'all, it's pretty much a new game now. You see, God wants to lead you then into a new game, a new mission for His purposes, one in which you apply all that you learned in the previous one, and you'll be stronger and more confident and invigorated then just as the Kansas City Chiefs were in overtime, until God finally brings you to the end zone for your touchdown. 
you start out making field goals. What got the Chiefs into the new game was that field goal. And there were only six seconds left on the clock. But those baby steps, those field goals, will work on your faith and will lead you to the point of making real touchdowns for the kingdom of God. And so that's the encouragement that I will leave you on this Tuesday morning. And I hope all of you are just doing well. If you think that this podcast will bless someone that you know, I would encourage you to share it with them. And I'm going to go ahead tonight. I'll be uh, finishing up the Jonah study at my church. I'll have that posted for all of you tomorrow morning. And then I'll talk to all of you personally again on this morning show on uh, Thursday morning. But this has been Mornings with Pastor Adam on the West Coast Bible Teacher Podcast, everyone. God bless you, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.